This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Testosterone has a variety of health benefits. It helps maintain bone density, muscle mass, red blood cell production, and sexual function. Testosterone levels in men tend to peak around between the ages of 30 and 40, then gradually decline. And it's not at all unusual to find low testosterone levels in men over the age of 50. It's also known that in men with hypogonadism, testosterone supplementation can improve libido, bone density, and muscle mass. So should we be checking testosterone levels in our middle-aged male patients? How do we determine who should receive testosterone supplementation? And finally, what are the risks of supplementation? These are all questions I'll be asking our guest, Dr. Nahid Punjani, a urologist at the Mayo Clinic, as we discuss testosterone supplementation in men. You're listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. Nahid, thank you for joining us today. It seems that we know a whole lot more about female hormone replacement than we do about male hormone replacement. So I'm going to ask you to educate us a little bit and start by telling us what happens to male hormone levels and sexual function in men as we age. First of all, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here and the opportunity to speak today and sort of discuss this interesting topic of conversation. You know, I think this is a, a challenging question, as many of these are within the testosterone space. There appears to be a clear decline in testosterone and pre-testosterone as men age. And there also appears to be an increase in sex hormone blinding globulin as men age. This is important because sex hormone binding globulin tends to bind to our testosterone, reducing the amount that's available for us to use in our body. Interestingly, men do have increases in testosterone throughout the day. This is known as the diurnal variation. This continues to happen as men age, but this variation tends to decrease as men get older. Similarly, as men do get older, there does appear to be a decline in their erectile and sexual dysfunction. And therefore, it's common that we do see men as they age for this indication. But one thing that is additionally important is the changes that happen to sperm production and function over time. While men who are older continue to produce sperm, there is um, some changes that may occur, and a lot of this data is also similarly controversial. It appears that total sperm counts, motility, and morphology appear to decline, as well as semen volume. And again, while men continue to produce sperm at older age, and this doesn't preclude them from having children, what's important is that there is growing evidence that advanced paternal age may actually have impacts on offspring, and therefore we do need to make sure we counsel our patients appropriately about advanced paternal aging and fertility. Our testosterone levels decrease with age, both total and free. Is this age-related decrease a primary disorder secondary to a pituitary problem, or is it a secondary gonadal disorder? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it likely is coming from both perspectives. There's likely a reduction in testicular function, which would sort of be more of a primary gonadal disorder, but there's likely also an impact to the hypovolemic pituitary axis, which would be secondary, and these likely feed back on each other and sort of uh, propagate one another. So let's talk about the potential health consequences of a low testosterone. There are for sure potentially important health consequences of decreased testosterone. You know, in this space, again, similarly, there is sort of controversial data with regards to, to many of these, but I'll try to highlight some of the important ones. 
the first and most common one that we tend to see as urologists and as patients come in for low testosterone is the idea of a low sex drive or a libido. You know, there are men who have low testosterone who do have low libido, but this is often one of the first signs that we do see in men who present with hypogonadism. Another point of interest is the impact of low testosterone on erectile function. And so low testosterone on itself has not actually been shown to cause erectile dysfunction, but instead this may be related and mediated through a reduced libido. Interestingly, men with low testosterone have comorbidities that may be related to erectile dysfunction, just as diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And therefore it's important that patients with low testosterone get treated and those may have improvements in their erectile function. How about bone density? What happens there? So there is growing evidence to support that men with testosterone deficiency have higher risk of developing osteoporosis, and therefore this may be an interesting group of men to screen and to pay attention to. And muscle mass, does this uh, decline as well? Yeah, so commonly men who are presenting can often have symptoms, including inability to to gain muscle and increased uh, body fat, and therefore um, it's been shown that testosterone does increase lean body mass and reduces fat mass. I know testosterone can affect our red blood cell production. Can you actually see anemia secondary to hypogonadism? So commonly what we see is men who tend to be on testosterone have elevated hematocrits. And this is secondary to the testosterone's effect on actually production of RBCs. This becomes a really important area to screen for and um, to really be considered of as we have men on therapy, because this does potentially put them at risk if they do have high hematocrit levels and high red blood cell counts. This next question is kind of controversial because we see so much of it as we deal with the extreme aging men, but cognitive function, how does hypogonadism affect that? Yeah, so commonly as we see patients with low testosterone, they tend to present sometimes with difficulty concentrating and some alterations in their mood. The actual evidence supporting if testosterone replacement therapy will improve cognitive function is, as you said, sort of controversial. I like to sort of extrapolate from the idea that men who have prostate cancer or metastatic prostate cancer who, are, who end up being on hormone deprivation therapy often do present with and have cognitive changes. And testosterone in these patients tend to make a big difference because they're sort of experiencing that cognitive change with their low testosterone. But at this time, you know, the guidelines are really inconclusive as to whether or not testosterone itself will improve cognition in some of these individuals. Okay. And how about glucose metabolism or diabetes? Yeah. So another aspect, which again, is similarly controversial is the relationship between testosterone and uh, glucose production and diabetes. There is some theory that testosterone can lead to reduce insulin responses and increase insulin resistance. And therefore, when I have men who are on testosterone replacement therapy and who are hypogonadal, I certainly check this and observe this over time. One big issue is cardiovascular disease. What's happening there? Yeah. Yeah. This is a really important one. The data continues to evolve and and has been conflicting. Original thoughts were first that testosterone may actually be uh, harmful in terms of cardiovascular disease, but the most recent data may suggest that in fact, a low testosterone uh, may be more harmful and therefore advocates for potentially uh, treating these men and having them uh, in, a, in a normal testosterone range. Mm-hmm. And how about fertility, spermatogenesis? This is an important one because I think sometimes it gets uh, missed, especially uh, in older men who we're not always uh, aware may be interested in family planning. Testosterone itself is essentially a contraceptive in the sense that it reduces and impairs spermatogenesis. And so it's really important that men who are on testosterone are counseled on this, especially those who may be seeking future fertility. So let's say we have a patient that we're considering hypogonadism, 
and we want to assess their testosterone level. How do we go about doing this? When we look at the orders, we have the ability to order total testosterone, free testosterone, bioavailable testosterone. What's the difference between all of these and which ones are important or are they all important? Yeah, so generally per urologic guidelines, total testosterone is what should be measured. Additional values such as free and bioavailable can be helpful in certain circumstances, depending on the clinical situation. But the, our guidelines really recommend treatment based on the total testosterone levels, especially those men who have a biochemical evident low level, but also have signs and symptoms of hypogonadism. I think what's really important here is the idea of making sure we have uh, multiple assessments of testosterone in these patients to ensure, uh, verify that they are hypogonadal or testosterone deficient. Therefore, for this reason, we should be getting at least two AM values of um, total testosterone values to help us decide whether or not these patients would benefit from testosterone replacement therapy, especially in the context of signs and symptoms of testosterone deficiency. So based on that comment, I assume that the testosterone levels can vary from day to day. Is that right? Correct. That's sort of the importance of checking it on more than one occasion. And we also see the diurnal variation that we spoke about earlier, and that sort of highlights the importance of getting an AM testosterone value, uh, because that's when men tend to peak throughout the day. Okay. How do we monitor patients for their testosterone levels? Let's say they're on a supplement. Yeah, this is really important because while we can show that men do have low testosterone levels and have signs and symptoms, you know, we have to really make sure that we have appropriate targets to make sure they're within safe ranges and that these values are being checked on a regular basis. It's important that this is checked after any time we change testosterone replacement regimens and or as they're on therapy long-term, but also important to assess for things that may have harmful impacts to the patient, such as their elevated blood cell counts. So this is something that needs to be checked on a regular basis to make sure they're not putting themselves at risk. Are the levels of testosterone we aim for in an older patient the same as the normal levels for a younger man? So this is a really interesting question, and I think there's ongoing discussion about what the ideal target ranges are for a young individual versus an older. At this time, uh, per guidelines, we do kind of treat everybody similarly and sort of aim for a similar range of about three to 600 nanograms per deciliter, which we sort of believe is the normal physiologic range in which we believe men will have the protective effects as well as um, improvement in their signs and symptoms. So as you mentioned, testosterone levels decline as we get older and low testosterone is associated with some fairly significant health issues. Should we be screening our male patients for hypogonadism? As per guidelines right now, we don't recommend screening men for hypogonadism. It's important that we be checking men who have signs and symptoms of low testosterone. That said, one can argue about the potential health impacts of low testosterone that we have been discussing. The consensus is really to make sure we're targeting appropriate patient populations to be screening, maybe such as those who are infertile, maybe those who've gone through chemotherapy radiation, those who might have a pituitary disorder. But really, we need to make sure we're weighing this against the potential harm of testosterone therapy and the adverse impacts that can come as a consequence of being started on uh, replacement. So what qualifies a patient for testosterone supplementation? Is, is a low testosterone alone enough? So generally speaking, we would want men to have a low testosterone, uh, sort of, again, on AM testosterone levels, completed at two different times, but also those with signs and symptoms of low testosterone. Okay. You could argue, again, that men who do have low testosterone levels um, without signs or symptoms should be counseled on the potential impacts and benefits of testosterone replacement therapy. But as, as of now, per the guidelines, 
we really should just be treating those with low testosterone and those with signs and symptoms. Okay. So what are the potential benefits of testosterone supplementation in men? So the biggest benefit of testosterone supplementation in men is really going to be an improvement in their symptoms. It's really what triggered the assessment. So may that be low libido or low energy or you know, difficulty sort of gaining muscle mass. The other benefits really come down to the impacts of testosterone on bone mineral density, on uh, glucose control, on cardiovascular disease. Okay. So we've got a variety of testosterone supplements available and a variety of ways to administer them. What's the best way to supplement testosterone? Yeah, so there's really no standard best uh, practice for type of testosterone replacement therapy. What's important for patients to know and for providers to know is that there are many options, topical, injections, pellets, intranasal, oral, and really there's not a, a significant sense of uh, amount of data really which shows one is better than the other. What's really important is to sort of take into account the patient's clinical picture and sort of understand their background. For example, it may be due to insurance coverage, it may be due to lifestyle. So for example, if we decide to put a man on topical testosterone, we need to be aware of the risk of transference to either their partner or to young children. And so these kinds of things become really important as we decide which therapy is best. In general, I tend to put patients on intramuscular testosterone. I do this in my practice because I find it is reliable and it is consistent, and I find to have uh, more predictable outcomes. But really, the key is to ensuring the appropriate modality and comfort level of the provider and sort of uh, ability for the patient to have their follow-up and what their lifestyle has. What about the products that are available over the counter? They're obviously not testosterone, but do they improve levels? Do they give patients any benefit? So we, as urologists, tend to support the regulated and approved formulations of testosterone. Uh, patients will often present with other types of compounds. Sometimes you surprisingly do find that they have testosterone in them. They might have purchased them over the border or from uh, other direct-to-consumer uh, markets. And so it's actually really important that when patients do bring this up, that we actually do ask them for the products, look at the ingredients, because sometimes we'll be surprised what sort of compounds are actually in what they are taking. Mm -hmm. So if we got a patient on testosterone supplementation, how often should we monitor them? Is annually adequate or do they need it more often than that? So generally speaking, we want to first decide what their target range is, which is generally around three to 600 nanograms per deciliter. And also trying to assess for improvements in signs or symptoms. Generally speaking, we want to allow patients a couple of weeks to sort of have a change in their levels and to sort of see how their body responds. And so generally speaking, after about three or four weeks, we would recommend uh, rechecking their testosterone values, as well as um, potential safety, safety labs, such as their hematocrit. After you're sort of on a steady range, then we can prolong that follow-up to about six months and then eventually to uh, annually or yearly, as long as they're ensuring that they're adhering to their regimen and their uh, labs with, remain within normal limits. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the potential harmful effects of testosterone supplementation. How about BPH? What's, what does it do there? Yeah, so this is important, especially as we see older men with low testosterone levels. Um, a lot of these men do have symptoms of BPH and voiding dysfunction. It's important for them to know that replacement of their testosterone may worsen their lower urinary tract symptoms, and therefore patients should be counseled as they're potentially excited or keen to get on testosterone replacement therapy that this may worsen indeed their uh, lower urinary tract symptoms. How about prostate cancer? Does prostate cancer increase risk from uh, testosterone? Now, this is a really interesting space, and I think we've had some big paradigm shifts in, in what we understand about this and uh, continues to evolve. 
And really this could be a, you know, an entire talk on its own. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, briefly, you know, advanced prostate cancer is sort of known to be hormone dependent or sensitive phenomenon. And so it's important that we be mindful and weary of sort of uh, testosterone levels in these patients. But testosterone itself has not been shown to cause prostate cancer. And there's many studies to support this. What it may do in certain cases in men who have very low testosterone or, or profoundly hypogonadal, we might see that when we place men on testosterone placement therapy, that their PSAs will rise. And the idea here is that they at baseline don't have enough testosterone to produce appropriate levels of PSA, but just something to be aware of and doesn't actually change their cancer, but just what we're seeing in terms of their PSA when we're doing screening. So, you know, I commonly treat men with low-grade prostate cancer or those who have recently completed treatment, and I do start them on testosterone, but I do this in a more controlled setting. I monitor them more often. And these patients, you know, should definitely be followed by a urologist in terms of their uh, balancing out the, the risks of uh, prostate cancer, but also the importance of them being on uh, testosterone replacement therapy and the potential safe way that we can do this. Mm -hmm. Well, cardiovascular disease is so prevalent in our society. Any risks of uh, using testosterone supplementation in those with known cardiovascular disease? Yeah, this is a really uh, important one as well. And really, there's been some paradigm shifts over the last 10 years as well. It was back, I think, in 2014, where the FDA sort of really warned against this cardiovascular risk that was associated with testosterone. And this was based on some of the trials that came out of JAMA. Since then, there's been significant criticism to these studies and a lot of work even done within the urologic space. More recently, randomized data has kind of actually shown a benefit of testosterone therapy in men with coronary artery disease and CHF, and really the idea that low testosterone levels may be harmful. And so, uh, you know, while um, there's controversy around this, I think with an educated provider, I think this can actually be a benefit to our patients. So it's clear this is a very complex topic. And uh, you've given us a lot of information, Ahid. Can you summarize our discussion, maybe give two or three key points on testosterone supplementation in men? The first would be that testosterone therapy should really be reserved for and offered to men with both signs and symptoms of low testosterone, but also biochemical evidence, as our guidelines and research really support that these, have the, these patients will have the best benefit. It's important in these cases, though, to realize that some patients may be on testosterone in unregulated manners. And, but we have to remember that's a regulated substance and we need to be stewards of this medication and the treatment that we provide. I think another idea is that, you know, testosterone therapy is not always benign and may cause risk if not monitored and not uh, given to the appropriate patient population. For example, we may have an, a man who wants to undergo and wants to have children in the future. They need to be counseled on that risk that it can impact their fertility. And so in some of these cases, there are alternative therapies that I know we didn't talk about, off-label medications that can be used to raise testosterone. But again, it's important to make sure these patients are monitored closely and informed of the, of the side effect profile. And I think the last thing that I would probably say is that, you know, the relationship between testosterone and cardiovascular disease, prostate cancer, even things such as sleep apnea are really evolving. And really, we've had big changes in the last 10 years. And I think we continue to learn more and more about these disease states and learn more and more about how we can safely prescribe testosterone to these patients in a way that we're providing them health benefits, but mitigating the potential risks that may come with these conditions. We've been discussing testosterone supplementation in men with Dr. Nahid Punjani, a urologist at the Mayo Clinic. Nahid, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us 
Stay healthy and see you next week.